Hello and welcome to Destigmatized. My name is Adam Cavillan. I'm here with fellow MSW student and friend, Dustin George. Hey, Dustin. Hey there. What's up? How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your first experiences dealing with mental health, maybe the first time you learned about the concept of mental health or your first awareness of it um, within yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Honestly, thinking about it, I truly didn't allow myself to really think about mental health personally until like my early 20s, I would say. Um, Because so I grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I also know as Mormons. Um, And like, I, I knew like, mental health as like a nebulous thing like I learned about it in school like I knew people who like had depression and things like that um but one of the big things about like in Mormonism I think they've gotten better with this now thankfully but at the time there was just kind of this message of oh if you're sad oh if you're having a hard time you're either you've either sinned and you need to like repent about it and like you'll feel better or you just aren't reading your scriptures enough you're not praying enough or going to church as much as you should and if you do those things you'll be happier because like the religion like the church's teachings and the gospel of the church like brings you happiness so like that was like a recipe for it um and so i just kind of went with that and it wasn't until things kind of exploded in my early 20s where I really like sat back and realized, oh, I was really struggling with legitimate mental health issues all through my adolescence. I just truly didn't allow myself to think about that at the time. Was there some specific thing or event in your 20s that all of a sudden made you come to this conclusion? Well, uh, so I attended the very infamous uh, uni- uh, Mormon university. Uh, it's called Brigham Young University. Um, and I had spent two years as a Mormon missionary. And then I got back. And that's when I was starting to uh, come to terms um, with my sexuality. And even during my two-year experience as a Mormon missionary, like I don't want to go like, I mean, I can't go into depth, but it's very, very complex in that like you leave your family for two whole years. If you're a guy, um, you have no contact with your family unless it's like a, a one week, e- like once a week email, or you talk to your family on like Christmas and Mother's Day. And so you're in this brand new location, sometimes learning a brand new language. Um, and you're like, have to talk to people every single day, working like 80 hour weeks. Um, And I really, really struggled with like walking up to people and talking to them. Uh, And, or there'd be some days where I just couldn't get out of bed or didn't want to get out of bed. And I think my very first day, like as a missionary, when I finally went out there, like I, I definitely had a actual panic attack and I didn't know it. Like, I just thought like, oh, I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't do anything. I just, I'm just probably nervous, but no, I was actually having a panic attack and I went through many experience like that like as a missionary um but it also comes with this narrative of oh 
you just aren't faithful enough oh if you're just obedient to these rules like things will be okay and so even at that time i wasn't allowing myself to be like no i actually have depression no like i'm super super socially anxious like that's why i'm having a hard time um so when i got back i was like coming to terms with my sexuality while i was at byu and byu is known for its honor code uh which and like if you are found to be sexually active outside of marriage or drinking or participating in drugs or anything like that you could get expelled from school um and so that's when my depression really really hit like probably my rock bottom and that's when i was like okay there's much more at play than just I've, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Like I actually am not functioning. Something's really wrong with me. Um, and that's when I really started to like attend therapy and also like really allow myself to explore that side of me. Yeah. So it sounds like you were experiencing all these feelings that were related to mental health and then it kind of got so bad that you couldn't ignore it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's so interesting how how labels function. Like you just it sounds like you just didn't have the language for a lot of what you were experiencing. Yeah, probably. Like I mean I I I mean I had friends who I knew had like there was one person I knew who had was diagnosed bipolar. I knew what depression was. I, I mean, I knew all the verbiage. I just didn't allow myself to apply it to myself. I just was like, oh, those are just concepts like that I learned from a textbook. It's very clinical. And I, I just didn't process it like, oh, maybe I have that myself. If that right. makes sense. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Um, and what was the process of going back and, I mean, you said that you, whenever you were feeling a certain way, it was recommended to, you know, you were either sinning or you weren't learning enough or studying enough. Mm-hmm. What was, could you go into a little bit more detail um, about that? Like what, were there certain things that you needed to do based on how you were feeling? Like, or was it kind of just like a general do more it was just kind of a general thing. I mean, like I mentioned, it's like, if it was like a chronic unhappiness um, that was attributed like to sin, like you clearly have done something wrong. You need to go speak with your local religious leader and you need to repent of that. And like, that will bring you happiness. Or like, if you're in a down mood or if you're upset, like go pray, go read your scriptures, uh, talk to your, like your parents about it or like your religious, religious leader. And like by following the tenets of the gospel as they call it like you that's what's going to bring you happiness um and so like i believe that and there were definitely times where i recognized that it wasn't curing everything um and i think i also didn't allow myself to really think about that there's a lot of cognitive dissonance um in in that thought process where i knew that i was unhappy but I also didn't want to recognize my unhappiness because I was so scared of learning that the reason of my unhappiness was actually rooted in my religious beliefs because I grew up with it. It was my whole life. Like Mormonism is a lifestyle religion. It was, I didn't like every single decision I made was basically rooted in my religious beliefs. And so it was really scary to 
come to terms with that and like uh and to acknowledge basically that I that it really wasn't for me and like also that I actually had depression and I actually had anxiety and no amount of scripture reading or praying is going to get rid of that yeah I imagine there would be I mean I, I think if I went through something like that there would be a lot of internalized shame and did you experience that oh one thousand percent I mean also like uh identifying as like a gay male like homosexuality is not something that is looked kindly upon within the Mormon church. There's many people now who are trying to be more progressive, um, but there's still a large portion of people who definitely see, like if I went to my parents' church right now, a lot of people know that I'm gay. Like they would be like, oh, like we like basically the whole hate the sin, love the sinner. Like they're like, Oh, like we like you, but we really disagree with your lifestyle. Like that is a sinful lifestyle. Um, and so there was a lot of internal, like little T traumas that I would say of just always thinking that I wasn't good enough based on like who I was deep down. Um, and that was like a really, really difficult thing to acknowledge. Um, but I think I was definitely, especially when I was in college, um, but at BYU, like, that was the biggest driving force of, like, I, there's a part of me that I have been taught my whole life is basically one of the worst things that I could do. Um, like, basically, like, I just remember being taught that, like, as far as ranking of sins go, like, murder is obviously the worst, and then sexual sins were, like, right above that, with homosexuality being, like, the worst of the sexual sins and so I was just like oh my gosh like I if I follow this life path as I thought at that time I will be forsaking literally everything that I grew up with and if I do that not only will it be hard for me but it will devastate my family and everyone close to me and there were definite moments of like suicidal thoughts especially in college because I I kind of had this really dangerous thought process where I was like I felt at the time that my it would be easier on my family and on my parents for me to have taken my own life than to um to pursue the homosexual lifestyle as they would say because like at least if I was like gone like because of suicide like they still might know but I, that I believed in the church and the gospel and that like Mormons believe in like a life after this and like you carry on what you learn here. And so like, there would be like hope that I would eventually follow that. But if I followed the homosexual lifestyle, they, I, I would be completely forsaking that. And like, to me at the time, that was probably more painful. Um, I mean, obviously luckily I didn't follow through with that. Um, but it was a huge, huge thing that I wrestled with. Um, and I'm super grateful that like I'm, beyond that but it was it was a really big thing yeah that sounds really really difficult how did you overcome that like what was that like I mean it sounds like that was like a, a mountain to climb oh, absolutely I mean there was a lot of therapy and there was a lot of really just doing my own thing of like I I moved to Portland Oregon immediately after I graduated um 
right out like Portland, Oregon didn't work. And so I immediately moved back to Utah and spent a month in Europe by myself and kind of like an eat, pray, loved style uh, situation. And, um, and then I eventually moved here to New York. And so I think just, I tried to just seize a lot of, a lot of individuality and um, just kind of like, along with therapy and along with um, just that self-exploration, I was able to really distance myself from uh, the things that were really painful to me and like accept what I actually believed about myself and about life as we know it. Um, And like my feelings about religion have really changed over time. And so I think just being able to really come into my own and allowing myself to like embrace that side of myself has been really helpful. But like to answer a question, like I said, I, I don't, can't really think of any specific things, like I said, other than therapy and just, just like distance, I think distancing myself was really important and actually getting myself out of those environments. Um, and that was like, I think that really, really helped. Yeah, I know. I think that's a really, great point that you bring up is like the idea of and it's not it's not like running away from your problems but like actually separating yourself from uh you know the things in your life that you know are toxic um which can be a really really difficult thing to do Mm -hmm. um but I, i think that i think that message really resonates of separating yourself kind of like healing through living and that can look really different for a lot of people um Mm. whether it's like taking up a new hobby whether it's traveling whether it's uh moving to a new location whether it's needing to shed old friends that aren't helping you Mm -hmm. definitely all those things like the the kind of healing through lifestyle choices I, i think that's a really important point yeah because it's really it's almost it's really empowering uh to be able to like remove myself or yourself or whoever and really pursue things for you because i've lived my entire life to a standard and making decisions based off of what i was taught was right and like based in like a, a religious context and like my neighborhood growing up was all mormon like there was maybe one house in the whole neighborhood that may not have been holding Mormons. And then like, I saw them every Sunday, all of my friends were in my religious congregation and like my high school um, was like 95% plus Mormon. So I w- it just was literally everywhere. And then not to mention in, in my undergrad, like it's a Mormon, it's a private Mormon university. So like, it's also super ingrained in like classes and I had to take religious courses uh, in order like to graduate. And so I just really needed to completely distance myself and really see how I was as a, as a person outside of a heavily religious environment. And once I really pushed myself, I was able to feel empowered to like embrace like the authentic part of me. Yeah. I think it can be really difficult to, fully understand yourself if you've been in the same environment your whole life mm-hmm. um because how how do you separate your identity from your environment that's like a really hard question it's huge to change that i mean i, I i'm speaking from personal experience mm-hmm. 
changing my environment for extended periods of time really brought a lot of healing for me and it helped me understand a lot of the things I was going through in a new light. And even if that's, doesn't have to be a location thing. It can mm-hmm. be, like I said, people or um, just like finding a new place in your city to spend more time. It could be a lot of different things. It could take a lot of different forms, but uh, environment, I mean, we know how, how big of an impact environment has on our well-being and our, and our personality. So it, it follows that healing can happen, understanding can happen unless there, there's some type of change there. Yeah. And like kind of along with that, there was a period of time where I thought that the depression I was having was situational depression. I was like, oh, that's because I'm surrounded by all these things that are triggering for me and like are really causing me a lot of pain. So um, like I thought that maybe once I got out of those environments that I would improve. Um, And I was really disappointed when it didn't improve as much as I would like. And that's when I had to take a step back. I was like, oh, hey, no, like, maybe I'm just chronically depressed and it's not like a situational thing. Um, Right. So that was like a journey all in itself outside of that. Yeah. And that change informed you, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's, that's part of it. I wanted to ask about, um, because you mentioned, you know, after you kind of had this realization of what you were going through, you kind of looked back on your adolescence and you were like, oh, wait, that was all that, all those feelings, that was probably what that was. Yeah. What, what did that look like for you when you were younger? I mean, I've always been a very socially anxious person um, where like I'm a constant people pleaser. um, And um I think on top of it was like, I definitely, there were depressive times where, I mean, I remember in particular, there was a job that I really wanted um, and I didn't get it. And like most people would just be like, oh, bummer. Like I literally laid in bed in the dark for like all afternoon into the evening because I just was so beside myself. And that's like not normal coping. Um, And there were definite times where um, I would hear things that people would say about me or like, I mean, I experienced bullying in school and like, I just remember being so sad about it that there was like, sometimes it was all I could think about. I would internalize a lot of it and blame myself for it. And, um, and then there was a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms. Um, and as far as like, I, I just like, I, I don't know how like I would go into saying this, but just like, I guess, I would just look at some of my behaviors of how I'd act, of how I would interact with other people or interact with adversity or disappointment. And it was like, that was really just informed by, by depression. And I don't know if it was really truly chronic depression at that time, but I think there were definitely signs of me heading in that direction at the time, if I'm clear in saying that. No, absolutely. You bring up, I think this is something that uh, hasn't been talked about is like how people with depression or anxiety respond to social situations and like certain things in their life. Like what are some common threads? Because I definitely resonate with everything you said. Like I've that, that exact thing has happened to me where I didn't get a job that I wanted. And I was like, so upset. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, it's so true. It's like, there's this, internalization that happens um with all those things yeah absolutely yeah and i think it's 
it's just especially common in people with depression and anxiety. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that's, it's important to think about what types of actions and behaviors are occurring in, in people who are depressed and, and anxious. I, I really choose to like, I love those things together because it seems like everyone who's depressed also experiences anxiety. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's important and, and it's really interesting and there's a lot of insight to be gained when, when you think about those things and try to like see what, what patterns exist. Definitely. And I think another thing, especially as of late, looking back at my adolescence and really applying it to now is a lot of my depression currently is fueled by very strong body dysmorphia. Like I have a really, really bad body dysmorphia. And um, especially like in the gay community where there's so many high, high standards of like the way you should look or if you don't fit a certain category, that's an issue. Um, And sex is very much transactional or is really like inherent of your worth like the more sex you have the more the better you are like the more desirable you are and like therefore you are your worth is more um and looking back like there were a lot of people who would like just make really random comments about like the way I looked or the way I'd present myself um and I was always extremely self-conscious of that um like one of uh like I remember people like making weird comments about my big forehead or uh, my, my baby face or like people would even really comment on how thin I was. Like when I was a missionary, I think I would go to different areas and they would always, always comment about how stick thin I was and how they needed to feed me more. So I wouldn't be so stick like rail thin. Um, And then also um, I think just like another thing was just realizing that I mean, like, and then I just, I think I really carried that with me as far as now where um, I don't feel like I fit a lot of the categories that the queer and the gay community really have. Um, And so it's, that's been like a really, really big struggle for me as well. Like to the point where like even my therapist, my psychiatrist were like, yeah, that is like one of the biggest, like feeds into my body dysmorphia, like into my depression. Like I have a really hard time seeing myself in pictures or even looking at myself in the mirror some days. Um, And it's, it's definitely a real struggle. Um, And definitely seeing how things in my childhood led up to that is, it's, it's really telling to be honest. Yeah. I think that is something that we need to get better at as a society, just like commenting, the normalization of commenting on people's physical appearance. Like people used to say that shit to me all the time too. Like, oh my God, you're so skinny. Like, like, um, or I'm jealous. Like you're so skinny and like things like that. And, and just like any random assortment of comments and you just have no idea how those things actually affect people despite how you mean it. Like physical appearance is, it's a really, really, sensitive topic mm-hmm. and issue for a lot of people even when the person isn't trying to be mean or or anything like that yeah like i there was a time where my dad's mom lived with us for a while and she was pretty sick and we i was i think in like seventh and eighth grade um and we used to go out to dinner a ton and like i it's, that's that's an awkward physical time anyway that's like when puberty is happening and everyone is awkward but i think i was a little pudgy just because of all the eating like at restaurants and also that stage 
And then when she passed away and we started eating at home more, I naturally lost a lot of weight. And I even remember going to a family thing and my aunt and uncle who are really kind and wonderful. I remember them very distinctly being like, oh, wow, like Dustin's lost a lot of weight. And I was like 14 or 15. And I like really distinctly remember them making that comment. And they weren't trying to be mean or anything. It just, it, it, that really is kind of a very big memory for me. Um, that like oh like people actually notice like that's the big thing i think on top of it i think there's a lot of like especially in conservative communities there's like oh men are supposed to look like this they're supposed to act like this and i was never athletic never athletic and i was teased all the time for being effeminate or whatever you would call it just because i didn't really fit those standards. I even had someone be like, Dustin, people are going to assume you're gay the moment they meet you. You're just going to have to get used to it. And they didn't say that in a nice way. It was just like, like that's a bad thing and you're just going to have to get used to it. Um, and when I was coming out and people were like, oh, Dustin, like when I was would say that I was gay and they're like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Like I'm not surprised or, oh, I knew it. Like it would really upset me because like, no, like I didn't know that. What makes you say that you knew it just because I wasn't super masculine? Like if I was a football player with super deep voice and very traditionally masculine features and traits, you'd be like, oh, wow, I'm surprised. I never would have thought it that way. So I just think there's like a double standard that like also really fed into that um, with just like feeling that I was never good enough or there was something wrong with me just beyond my sexual preference. Oh my God, yeah. All that stuff is, it's so intensely problematic for so many reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, I know that we have these like weird ideas of what masculinity is and what femininity mm -hmm. is. And we make a million assumptions based off of those ideas. And I mean, we could, we could really go on about that. Stuff, Absolutely. But. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I just mentioned that just because like all of those things really fed into my body dysmorphia. Like, like just even like every single facet has really kind of, for lack of better words, like fucked me up in that, in that way. And that's something that I'm still really, really battling um, as far as like mental health goes. Um, and I think it's honestly not talked about as much as I think it should be like, especially in men, like I, of course, uh, women, I like identifying individuals, like definitely uh, like, have a lot of expectations placed on them and how they should look. And I think now it's really starting to come out that like, male identifying individuals also face very distinctive standards and pressures. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you, you know, for people who don't know, could you, could you just define what body, body dysmorphia is? Yeah, absolutely. Like body dysmorphia is just, you are com like completely really unable to see your body for what it really is. Like you're always thinking of it in a very, very negative light. Um, and like people like tell me like, Dustin, you look fine. Like you're totally good. I'm like, no, I'm not. I look awful and it's beyond just like ew I don't like myself in my in that picture it's I literally cannot look at myself like there's many days where I just can't really look at myself in the mirror because I don't want to have to confront what I look like um and like you notice weight gain a ton or like weight loss a ton um and it's really just like 
inherent with your worth. Um, that's like really my understanding of body dysmorphia is it's a really hyper, hyper awareness of your appearance um, to the point where like it can be really debilitating. Like, for example, like when I would go to parties or when I would go like meet with social people, a bulk of my thought process, like, oh my gosh, I hope my hair looks okay. Like, how am I coming across to people? Do I look fine? And, or if I would go to the bathroom and my like hair was like crazy because like a windstorm and I'd be like, oh my God, like people have been seeing like this, me like this for like an hour. And I looked this horrible and I'd be like mortified. Um, and like, chances are no one was thinking about that at all. And like, that's not even a thought process that people would have, but like, that's just something that would make me super, super anxious of just like how people perceive me, how I look, um, and all that. Yeah. What types of things, I assume this is something that you talk to your therapist about. Absolutely. What types of things do you do to work on that? I mean, medication help has helped a lot. Oh, oh, does it? Okay. (laughs) It really has. Um, And on top of it, it's just, it's just becoming a lot more of just that as cliche as it sounds like that self worth, like really working on my self worth and my self love and just like accepting like how I look and not caring what other people thought of me um, and really just going beyond of like, like there's beauty in all forms of body types and all forms of like looks and really just like, I, of course I would accept that from other people. Like I would never look at someone else and like, Oh my gosh, they look terrible and they need to fix this about themselves. Like I would never imagine, but just like really internalizing that. Like if I would never say that to someone else, I definitely should not think it about myself. Um, so Yeah. I don't, I mean, if I would never think about it for someone else, I wouldn't think about it for myself. So it's just really just a lot of practicing and a lot of catching myself mm. of when I do start to have those thought processes of like really judging my appearance or like tearing myself down in that regard. Yeah. So before I came out as non-binary, I was mm-hmm. very... I think just like being called skinny my whole life, like thinking that there was a way like men should look. And I was always kind of concerned about like not having enough muscle or like being like big enough or, or whatever, being too skinny. And as soon as I came to terms with my gender, all of that stuff just like fell away. I was like, Oh, like I don't that stuff. And then it made it, then it was so clear how it was made up you know, Mm -hmm. like that, that veil kind of fell, um, even though like nothing really fundamentally changed, it was just kind of, it it made it clear how that was something that actually didn't exist. And it was just a societal construct. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like any expectation of any body type is made up like every, like (laughs) it's hard to, it's really hard to get that concept in your head and i'm not saying i am fully i fully accepted that either but it's 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 really sad the way that we internalize all that stuff because it literally means nothing and it does so much damage it really does and like honestly like all of these standards are pushed by capitalism and by white supremacy and all that stuff and just like really kind of realizing that that like 
these companies are really wanting you to feel a certain way about yourself. So you'll buy their products. So you'll do certain things. And of course, like you need to be healthy and you need to take care of yourself. Um, but on top of it, it's just like when you're like hinging your worth on things like the way you look, um, it can just get really, really problematic and dangerous. Um, I think that's why a lot of people have like eating disorders or um, stuff like that. And I, I, I don't really truly know a lot about it, but I think body dysmorphia really feeds into stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's just, and I really have been thinking about that of like, why do I want to look a certain way? Why do I want to meet that standard? And like, yeah, maybe it's for attention. Maybe it's because I want to fit in more. Um, and that's just something that I've been having to really unpack and like try to understand for myself. Um, and then the other thing on top of it, people are like, oh yeah, just like be confident. And like people are attracted to confidence. And I'm just like, well, I just shot that horse in the face. Like I, I don't feel confident. So therefore like people won't pay attention or like be interested in me. And it's just like this vicious cycle of just like, it's my faults. And like, I just because I looked a certain way and if I looked better then maybe I would have like more positive experiences socially. Um, and I've had to really just stop thinking that way and not allow myself to even go there because I can't control how other people treat me. Um, that's completely out of my control. Um, and so I've just really been focusing on how I treat people um, and how I treat myself and it's been helping. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, just understanding what's in your control yeah. can really help you move past those types of things. Do you uh, deal with anything, not that this is, uh, this isn't enough, but do you deal with anything more than <laughs> body dysmorphia and depression and anxiety? Have you experienced anything else in your life? No, I think those, those are the major ones um, in, their, in their own ways. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, I definitely, I mean, I think many could make a case for that I have PTSD from my religious upbringing in many ways. Um, I don't really want to go far to say that I do, but like, I think in ways um, I definitely am recovering like from religious trauma. Um, and I think it, yeah, I, I think that's about as far as I would have or like really recognize who knows, maybe my therapist will come up with something else that <laughs> I might have. <laughs> but who knows? Right. Do you, does being around, you know, when you go visit family or being around family, is that triggering for you in any way? Does that bring up stuff? Yeah, it really can be. Um, I felt really bad. Like last Christmas when I visited, I was awful. Like I was, I was a total bitch. Like I was not kind to them and I was get frustrated very easily. And then I recognized like, that's because it's so hard to be in that sort of environment now. Um, and I, I of course apologize. And I had to have a very tough conversation with my parents and actually my therapist helped out with this. Like I had to basically like, it's not that I don't love you guys. It's just when I, am home in this environment i mean my parents house is filled with religious artwork and like religious um like just like basically all this mormon decoration and like also mormon like proclamations and like things up on the wall and so like no matter where i go and there it's just constantly reminding me um and i had to be like it's it's just really really difficult and like if i am on edge when i'm home it's because i'm dealing with all of this or um even just like prayers over dinner or um 
prayers, like when they do like family prayers or just like anytime religion is really brought up, it can be difficult. And there is also a pressure of, I had to be okay with all of that. And I also didn't feel like I could be my authentic self. Like I had to filter myself. I had to completely shut off a part of myself to keep my family comfortable. And that wasn't fair. And so it was just a really frustrating thing. So I'm hoping in the future that like I can be more authentic around my family and I don't have to censor myself as much because that's not fair to me. Because I mean, I'm going to, I'll, I'll definitely like accept and allow them to do what they believe is right. And I just kind of hope that they will continue to do the same for me um, in return. Yeah. That sounds like so much uh, just simultaneously being triggered by all these things in, in your life uh, that happened yeah. and, and dealing with all those feelings while also having to censor yourself and like not be able to express yourself fully for sure (laughs) like that's a lot to hold in Mm -hmm. do you does any part of you relate to mormonism still are you uh in any way practicing or thinking about life in those terms i would say absolutely not (laughs) and it was a really gradual thing it wasn't like i immediately cut it off and i made that decision it was really gradual in that like I believe like, oh, I don't have to really attend church or I don't have to really believe in all of the tenets of Mormonism, but I still like believed in like God or Heavenly Father as Mormons call him. Um, And like, oh, I have a relationship with him and Jesus Christ and stuff like that. Um, And then the more I distanced myself and the more I thought and the more I became accepting of myself, that really faded away. And I just got to the point where like, I can't hold on to any of that while also being me because it it just it didn't compute for me anymore and so I definitely just reached a point where I was able to just kind of completely distance myself like I was able to like get my name removed from the official church records and that was really liberating um and so and like I honestly like sometimes have to really hold my tongue whenever my parents or my family say things and one thing I was really trying to get especially my parents to reconcile. I was like, how can you say you love me um, when you believe all these things that basically say how awful I am? And quite truthfully, like, I don't think that they're ever going to be able to reconcile that, which is not a bad thing. Like, it's just, it's so complicated and I can't expect them to be able to have all those answers. But um, I think it's just going to be a constant learning process of being patient with each other. And I do feel very lucky that I have parents who love me as much as they do and are supportive as they are, because I know many people in my situation have very, very wildly different experiences. So um, I feel like I am lucky in that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. I mean, I've, I've definitely heard stories of it going the other way. So. hmm for sure. Do you have trouble relating to your parents now? Is it like, did, did, I mean, obviously your relationship changed. Yeah. But do you feel like it's, it's in a place that's okay? And how does that make you, I don't know. I think a lot of people have different feelings about their relationship to family. Like for some, Mm -hmm. it's like a very important part of their life and others, they can just give it up pretty easily. Where, where are you at with that? That's a good question. I think 
I mean, overall, like when I talk to my family and my siblings, like it's fine. It's good. Like, it's not like I hate being around them. I just think for some of them, it's really hard for them to understand that as long as they are like actively in the Mormon faith, like that will always be a rift between us. Like that's just, it's just the way it is. Like, like, and we can still love each other and support each other, but as long as that's a thing, like there will always be like this barrier, this distance between us. And I think that's kind of a painful thing to really reconcile. Um, and it's also a little difficult sometimes, and it's, it sounds weird to say this, but the fact that they want to have a relationship with me sometimes just really complicates things um, because they want me to visit from New York and they want to have these things. And like, yeah, like, of course, that should feel great and I should want that too, and I do. But at the same time, it also, anytime I do visit or anytime we do kind of approach certain subjects, it's just like, not letting things heal all the way. It's like ripping the scab off again and just like reopening those wounds. And I just think it's something that I'm going to have to get used to and just deal with better because I'm not going to completely cut them off and I don't want to do that at all. But at the same time, it's just, it always refreshes certain pains. And so I think it's just like going to be a constant journey. Um, so and I, I and that's just how it's gonna have to be um and that's just part of life i guess <laughs> was there any type of forgiveness that needed to happen on your end was that a part of your process at all i i think in ways i don't think i ever really held my parents accountable for anything i, I mean in ways like i had to be like yeah my parents were just doing what they thought was right and like maybe there was some collateral damage on me and my development because of that. But I think that also just comes with parenting, like as parents do what they think is right, whether it's right or not, um, there's going to be collateral damage in any way. Um, and so I don't hold any resentment towards them. I do hold a lot of resentment and have no interest in forgiving the church organization as a whole that they are a part of. Like I'm, I'm able to like separate that. Um, of course there's frustrations that they still choose to follow it. Um, but that's just the part of their lives and I'm going to have to be patient with that. And that's my struggle. Um, but yeah, I think there was some forgiveness, but that happened fairly quickly. And then other things I don't, really see the need to forgive because I think I can't, I, I know, I, like I said, I don't want to forgive the church as a whole because they've done nothing to earn that forgiveness. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Well, we are approaching the end here. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of questions that I like to ask. First, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't discuss or get to? No, not that I can think of. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and uh, what advice do you have? Um, and it could be specific to what we talked about. It could be in, yeah. in general, anything. Honestly, I think when it comes to mental health and just like growing as a person in general, I think vulnerability is key. It's so important. Like finding the people in your life that you can trust and be vulnerable to, and also being vulnerable with yourself 
is so, so important because I think too often we're scared to even have those individual conversations with ourselves about how we're feeling, why we're feeling it, and really asking those hard questions. Um, and it's scary being vulnerable because we're always afraid that of, especially with other people of rejection or them not understanding and really like holding space for us. But I think a lot of like, a lot of things like struggles that we go through culturally would be solved if we were just more vulnerable. I mean, like even this podcast, like mental health is so stigmatized. And I feel like if more people were just open and vulnerable with each other, like we would see that we're all really experiencing similar, like similar problems, but of course in our own way. And like, we would be able to know that like we aren't alone um, and that there's people out there like us that we can like rely on. Um, but again, if you don't have those people that you can trust, like just being open and honest with yourself as much as possible. Um, and I, I think having that relationship with yourself that you can recognize those things you need to work on and also the things you can't control is really important. That, I mean, I can't agree with that more. That is, Yes, that's everything. <laughs> um, no, I, I think once I learned how to be vulnerable with myself, it just like, it made me a more confident person. It made mm -hmm. me, it just like changed everything for me because once I was vulnerable with other people and saw that I could be honest and like, it was okay. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, like, I guess, like, my truth is okay. And I don't have to, <laughs> like, I don't, people aren't going to, like, reject me or make fun of me because there's that worry when you don't, when you have those things about yourself and you're not open about them and you don't share them, there's that worry that happens that, you know, if someone knew this about me or saw this about me, mm -hmm. then maybe they would reject me. Yeah. Or something along those lines. And once you can open up and, and uh and be vulnerable and see that that's you know that's really not the case it can it can open up a lot of doors absolutely and like that's really how i'm approaching my relationships now like friendships or romantic or whatever like if i can't be vulnerable with them i don't want to invest time in that because i i'm just not interested in relationships where we just have a surface level we talk about movies, we talk about the weather. Like I, I just, I don't have time for that. I want to be able to be vulnerable with the people I care about. And I want them to be able to be vulnerable with me. Cause I feel like that's how relationships are like, that's how you strengthen them. And that's how like they're real. Um, and yeah, that's just like how I'm like, at least pursuing my life as of now. <laughs> no, hell yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, I can't agree with that more. And also like, just as you get older in life, like you don't have time for these light, superficial relationships, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just no, <laughs> nobody has time for that, absolutely. No way. Um, okay, well, this was a really great conversation. Thank for you sure. so much, Dustin. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.